Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Thank you, Carson, again, uh, and uh, the, the music team. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, both uh, Jamie and Rick are currently in Jerusalem, uh, in Israel. So uh, it's next man up this morning. But um, I'm excited about that anyway. Uh, back home uh, in my previous church, I used to get the opportunity to do this a lot more. So I'm excited that I get a chance to, to open God's word with you this morning. I want to begin by telling you a little bit about uh, a lady called Rachel. Uh, the first time I met her was Christmas 2011, and she'd come to one of our Advent services at the church that I previously used to work at back in the UK. She hadn't been attending church for about 15 to 20 years. She grew up in a church family, um, but during her teenage years, kind of drifted away. But for whatever reason, she had decided to come back that Christmas season. And she received a really warm welcome, not just from me, but from a bunch of different people who uh, told her that how delighted they were that she'd made the effort to come. And so she started attending church regularly, um, every Sunday, almost every Sunday. And she also joined our weekly small group. You know, uh, she'd never done anything like that before, but she was brave. She decided that she was going to kind of take that step, and she knew that we were friendly. We, no one had bit her on Sunday morning or anything, so uh, she thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to hang out with these people during the week. We used to meet uh, every Wednesday night uh, in uh, one another's homes, and she'd come along with this uh, pristine pink Bible. I just remember it. She'd just sit there, a uh, fluorescent pink Bible, and she'd kind of just sit and listen and occasionally ask questions. Well, over the months, her confidence began to grow, and uh, she'd start offering her opinion. And sometimes it was great, and other times it was really random. But, and that, but that was fine, because nobody jumped in her like, you're a heretic, get out. Nobody, nobody was doing that. The point was that she was here to meet with us. We wanted her to feel loved and feel welcomed. And she did. Uh, we loved her, and, and she loved us. And so uh, she, we started seeing Rachel a lot more, not just on Wednesdays and Sundays, but throughout the rest of the week. She'd... Um, uh, come over to share meals with us. Um, she started uh, looking after our kids. We, um, they'd walk our, do walk our dogs. Uh, her husband was a, do a professional dog walker, which was an interesting uh, career choice. Um, and um, she began letting us into her life, uh, sharing some of the challenges and struggles that she was facing. And also, she began inviting some of her friends along to our church too. Well, a couple of years after I first met Rachel, I had the privilege of baptizing her. And I remember uh, her testimony that Sunday really well. She said that she wasn't sure when she first met Jesus, but she knew where she was when she met him. She was in our small group. Uh, it was as we studied the Bible together and as she saw the way in which our relationships were radically different to those that she had experienced anywhere else, that she met with Jesus. She saw him changing us before her very eyes. And so she put her trust in him. One of the things I love about Scottsdale Bible Church is our emphasis on having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's something you'll rarely go a week without hearing in this place. The Christian life, when boiled down to its essence, is a life that is lived in relationship with Christ. If you have missed that, 
you're either brand new here, welcome, it's great to have you, or you just haven't been listening for uh, for however long you've been here. And you know, it's a real privilege, we should recognise together today, it's a real privilege to be a part of a church where people are speaking and living that truth. And, And also a part of a church where others are coming to meet Jesus for the first time themselves. And I say it's a privilege because not all churches believe that. Throughout the 20th and into the 21st century now, there are lots of churches that would define what it means to be a Christian differently than we do. Uh, These would be churches that would self-identify themselves as maybe theologically liberal churches. And what that often means is that um, there isn't much confidence that God can be known at all. The Bible is thought about as a book of uh, people's religious thoughts But it's not God's word. We don't meet God when we open this book. And so some within those group of churches would say that being a Christian is at core about loving people. Uh, It's about how we relate to one another and the world around us. It doesn't matter so much what you believe. What matters is that you belong. Christianity for these folks really is about community. And to that, evangelical churches over the past few decades have rightly responded by saying, no, you're wrong. What we do and where we belong is not at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. The heart of our faith is relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? That's the question that we ask time and time again. Do you know him? And honestly, this morning, if you take nothing else from this message, walk away with that question ringing in your ears. Do you know him? Because if you don't know him, nothing that you do, no community that you belong to, can give you what your soul is searching to find. But what this does often, these two separate emphases does, is create the impression that you either believe in one or the other. It's community versus relationship. Uh, you're either all about one or you're all about the other. You might be thinking, well, what does that look like? It looks like someone who thinks, as long as I'm okay with Jesus, as long as I'm secure in this vertical relationship, then, then I'm good. It doesn't really matter what I do horizontally. It doesn't matter whether I'm engaged in church community uh, or not. But I want to submit to you this morning that although Christianity is nothing less than a personal relationship with Jesus, it is much more. Community and relationship are not antithetical. They're not opposed to one another. No, here's our big idea that we're going to think about today. Authentic community flows from a personal relationship with Jesus. Authentic community is one of our key values here at Scottsdale Bible Church, and after, the, after this morning, I, I hope that we'll all see why. If you have a Bible with you, please do turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, we're going to be spending uh, a little bit of time in the final six verses of that chapter from verse 42 to 47, and uh, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Acts is the historical record of the early church, the first century church. It was written by Luke, he's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and it's the sequel to what he has already written. So here's the story so far as we're jumping into it today. 
The Lord Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's been raised, and he has ascended back into the presence of his Father. And he told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill them. And that day has finally come. Tongues of fire appeared upon their heads. A rushing of a great wind sounded in the room and the Holy Spirit filled those, that band of scared people and totally transformed them. And the Apostle Peter stands up, you, you, I'm sure you, many of you know this, he stands up amongst a large crowd in Jerusalem and preaches an amazing sermon where he calls people to repent and to trust in Jesus. And verse 41 tells us that about 3,000 people were added to, that, to their number that day. They accepted that message and they were baptized. Now, what's happened there? They've very quickly gone from no church to mega church, right? Not, a, a group of about 100 or so to a group of about 3,000. And the organizational thinker in me thinks, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. I mean... The My Story team would be absolutely overwhelmed. The website would crash from the increase in traffic. They must be printing giving forms like they're going out of fashion. But of course, that wasn't how it went, was it, uh, for the early church. Here's, here's what had just taken place. 3,000 individuals had personally met with Jesus for the first time. We, personal relationship with Christ was at the heart of that community. We know that because of what we read in verse 42, which will be on the screen behind me. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word they're devoted in the Greek refers to a continual process. They were continually devoting themselves to something, to four things particularly. And that idea of devotion indicates that they were committed to something over other things. There was a reordering of their lives, a continual reordering of their lives around these four key principles. And the first of those was the apostles' teaching. Now, what this meant for those guys probably is that they went to hear the apostles teach. Peter or James or John or one of the other guys would explain to them who Jesus was and how it applied to their lives. We don't have that privilege today because those guys died a long time ago. What we do have of course, is the record of the apostles' teaching that we call the New Testament. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, to the fellowship. That is that Greek word koinonia. That if you've been attending church for any amount of time, you will know well. It's the, the idea behind that word is a deep sharing of life together in community. Isn't that interesting? They devoted themselves to the koinonia, the fellowship. We'll be thinking more about that in a moment. Thirdly, they, developed, uh, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, that's simply a phrase that implies they ate together a lot, day by day. But I think Luke also uses it here to kind of hint at what we're about to do at the end of this service. It, the breaking of bread was not just eating meals together and sharing hospitality, but it was also the idea that at the end of those meals, they would break the bread and drink the cup as Jesus had told them to do and remember what he had done for them. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and finally to the prayers, not just to praying but to the prayers. Um, probably what this is referring to is they went to the temple each day. There was two set times, morning and evening, where the whole of the community in Jerusalem would gather together to pray. And so they devoted themselves 
to attending those sessions of prayer, but praying with a new knowledge, a new relationship, praying to the God who had revealed himself to them in the person of Jesus. Now, these four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, are what the church historically has referred to as spiritual disciplines or the means of grace. You ever heard uh, either of those terms? Spiritual disciplines or the means of grace. One of my mentors back in the UK was a guy called Tim Chester. He was a professor at one of the seminaries that I attended there. And Tim used to dislike both of those phrases, uh, spiritual disciplines and the means of grace. He didn't like either of those. Now, it's true to say that devoting yourselves to those four principles requires discipline. If you are going to be uh, reading your Bible regularly, if you are going to be gathering with God's people, if you are going to be praying regularly and attending communion service, it requires you to order your life in a different way. And it requires discipline. But Tim said, doesn't spiritual discipline just sound so joyless? It sounds miserable. It's just about discipline. So he didn't like that phrase. But equally, he didn't like the phrase means of grace. And the reason he didn't like that was because it sounded very mechanical. It's true that God gave us and his church over the centuries these four things in order to receive grace. But Tim said, it's like you get your dollar bill and you put it into the machine, you pull the handle and out comes grace. That's kind of, you do these things, you get grace. It feels very mechanical. Tim used to speak about it this way. He used to say, these aren't really spiritual disciplines. They're not really means of grace. What these are, are means of communion, means of relationship. And I like that phrase because we meet Jesus when we open his word and listen to him. We meet Jesus when we gather with his people and see what he is doing in their lives and are encouraged to look back to him. We meet with Jesus when we break bread together and we meet with Jesus when we speak to him in prayer. It takes discipline, and as we meet with him, we receive grace. But those things flow from a personal relationship with Christ. Well, if you're, not, if you're still not sold on means of communion, that's okay. But let me, let me just point you to the next verse. It says this, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The word awe there is the Greek word phobos. It forms uh, the English word phobia. A good way to translate that verse is to say, and fear came upon every soul. Fear, why? Well, if you know your Old Testament, you would know that in the tabernacle or in the temple, when the people gathered and, and sought God's face and his presence descended in a cloud, they would fall on their faces in joyful fear. Because who was it who dwelt amongst his people? It was the Lord of hosts, the God who was holy, holy, holy. It was a joyful thing, but a fearful thing. And what has happened here? As God's people have sought him through the means of communion, the risen Lord Jesus, by his spirit, has manifested his presence amongst them. And fear, awe, reverence of the mighty king of the universe has fallen upon the hearts of his people as his presence is evidenced amongst them by the apostles doing 
signs and wonders, many miracles that we read of throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But here's what I want us to see. Personal relationship with Jesus was not an individual thing for these believers. It was not something that they pursued by themselves. They pursued relationship with Christ in community. Let's read together the rest of our passage. It says in verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. That in itself is a remarkable phrase. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. A shared relationship with Jesus produced in these people a corporate unity, generosity, hospitality, and worship. And all of it flows from what they, have, they had already received from Christ. So they were united together. They were all together, had all things in common. They were united despite a diversity of backgrounds and experiences that had previously defined their lives before. They no longer saw themselves primarily as their job. They were no longer a surgeon or a, a bin man. You don't even call them bin men here, do you? You call them the guys who take out the trash? What do you guys call them? Trash men. Okay. <laughs> bin men sounds so much nicer. Anyway, um, they didn't define themselves by their job, by what they did. Nor did they define themselves by their education or their ethnic background or their cultural interests. First and foremost, each of them knew they knew Jesus. And that was the thing that brought these people together in this common unity. Then they were, they were generous. They were radically generous. And although they'd have never thought of giving to these strangers they'd never met before, uh, just a few weeks before that, now they willingly shared what they'd worked their whole lives to keep. Why do they do that? Why do they do that, do you think? Well, is it not because he who was rich beyond all measure, the one who dwelled in glory, became poor for them, came down and gave his life for them, became sin for them at the cross, so that they, through his poverty, might receive all the blessings of heaven. What Jesus did for them made them radically generous. They had received so much from him. How could they themselves not also share everything that they had with those who had need? Then they were hospitable. They welcomed each other. And they ate together daily in one another's homes. Why? Well, Jesus welcomed his enemies, didn't he? And not only did he welcome them, he ate with them as his friends. And this community knew that one day, because of the grace of Christ, they would eat with him in the new creation. I love thinking about that. I hope you do too. Do you ever think that one day we will share a meal together and the host will be the Lord Almighty and he will welcome us as his friends and we will enjoy friendship together with him over his table? In a few moments, 
we will echo that future reality together as we share communion. And then finally, they worshipped him together. Joy that is shared grows. You ever notice that? If you love something, uh, you can do it by yourself. But when you gather together with a group of people, let's say you're a sports fan and you love a team, well, you can sit there and watch it by yourself miserably on, on the TV, or you can get together with a stadium of thousands and thousands and thousands of people and your joy, your passion, your excitement grows. When we gather together and share love, we are inspired to new heights of joy and delight. That's what Hebrews 10 refers to as stirring up one another to love. That's, that's what the, the preacher to the Hebrews says. Stir up one another to love. When, when we gather together, we stir one another up to worship. I know that as we gather together, we've already said this morning, as we gather together and hear one another sing and are served by this team of musicians, it stirs up our hearts to worship Christ. So they gathered to worship. You know, this is what koinonia, gospel-shaped, Jesus-centered community looks like. Unity, generosity, hospitality, and worship. But how does that work out at Cactus? We'd be foolish just to say, well, that's the way to do it then. You know, these people lived 2,000 years ago. They lived in a different city at a different time with different expectations. How do we do it here? That's what I want to spend our last few minutes thinking about. I want to just give us three really simple ways that we can continue to grow in authentic community. As we've already said, there's a special community here at this campus. We already do this well, but I want to give you just three ways that we can get better. And the first is this, speak to someone after church. It's pretty simple. Uh, I'm sure you're already well aware that this weekend is a highly significant weekend, uh, celebrating a highly significant anniversary in the life of Cactus Campus. It is uh, one year to the day that the Evans family came to, uh, I know, you all know. Oh, stop, stop. Please. That's, that expression of emotion is such an American thing. The, the Brits would just be like, great, good for you. Anyway, well, thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So my first Sunday here, I was determined to meet someone new. I knew I was going to, but um, uh, at the end of the service, uh, Rick's closing up. He's doing his thing, you know, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And I think, amen, great. Uh, there's a guy who's been sat next to me the whole service. And so I pause for, I don't know, five seconds, and I think, right, I'm going to say hi to him. And I do this. And what greeted me? An empty chair. I was like, how did he get out of here so quickly, right? I was looking for the trap door. I mean, the, the, the good news is that our evacuation procedures, we don't really need to rehearse them because <laughs> Rick, says, Rick says amen, and bang, you know, half of us are gone, right? One really, really easy way for us to grow in community is for you just to mentally add 10 minutes onto the service at the end of your time here and just turn to someone that you don't know, preferably, or maybe someone that you do, and just see how their week was. Find out something a bit about their life. Get to know their name. Community begins here as we gather together. Get to know someone uh, each week as church ends. Secondly, 
Join a small group. This is not, when we, when we encourage you to join a small group, we don't, we're not just asking you to get some place to learn more about the Bible. That's an important part of it. But small group is the place where you have a group of people who will celebrate your victories and fight with you through your struggles. Back home, uh, we had a really diverse small group of all different ages and stages, and there was a, a couple in it who were a little bit younger than um, Han and I, and they announced to us that they were pregnant. And it was just a wonderful celebration uh, because they'd been trying to have kids for a while. And then um, a few weeks later, uh, we all received a message uh, that Natalie, who was 24 weeks pregnant at the time, her waters had broken and she'd gone into hospital and the baby was coming. I remember going to visit her uh, the day before. Lucy was born 24 weeks premature. Um, she weighed less than a pound. She could have uh, sat in the palm of your hand. And she didn't breathe for the first 17 minutes of her life. Tim, the dad, sent a message out to the small group and he said, Lucy has been born. She isn't breathing. She's receiving CPR right now. Please pray. I remember I was driving down the freeway at the time and this may be slightly dangerous, I pulled over onto the hard shoulder and Han and I, we prayed right there and then. And it's at that, that, that moment, as that small group prayed, that she began to breathe. Now the next six months was tough for those guys. They walked through some really dark days and they needed that small group. We covered them in prayer. They didn't make a single meal for about four months. Uh, uh, they were just fed and fed and fed by that group. And also on those days when they couldn't see that Jesus was still good, that God still loved them, on those days when the life support machine continually kept crashing, we were there to point them again to the goodness of their Lord and Savior. Small group is where koinonia, authentic, gospel-shaped, Jesus-centered community happens. And often we leave it until the crisis to try and find someone to help us. Well, why not invest in that community beforehand and also be the person who's caring for someone else in every season of life? So join a small group, secondly. And then thirdly, invite people to eat with you. We get so hung up about this one because we forget that the purpose of having people to our home is not to impress them, but to love them. We, we think, oh man, I can't, I can't cook food that they'll be able to take a photograph of and put on Facebook, you know? <laughs> How can I possibly have anyone in my home? Well, I was reminded of this uh, on Friday. We had someone from the congregation over uh, for dinner and we're eating chili together and Jack is just there in his diaper, covered in chili, with a handful of cheese in this guy's face, just going, cheese, cheese. <laughs> Our family life together is carnage. It, you know, our home is, there's toys strewn everywhere. There's diapers coming out of every orifice of our house. But that's who we are. If I don't invite you into our life, if I don't show you who we really are, then you never get to know us. Isn't that true? We need to show people who we really are, not who social media projects us to be, right? And the Lord modeled this for us when he was 
during his ministry on earth. He ate with people. One of the ways, one of the best ways to get to know someone, to see what's happening in their life, to have conversation and, and, to, and to bless one another and point each other to Christ is to eat together, to share fellowship around the table. You know, um, I met with a guy about two, two three months ago uh, from this congregation. He's here this morning. He doesn't actually know I'm going to tell this story, but it's a good story. And uh, he, he just connected with me and said, hey, do you want to go for coffee? I said, yeah, sure. And uh, we sat there and, and, and we began to talk. And um, in the course of our conversation, I said, hey, do you, do you know Mike Tillizzi? He leads the, uh, the men's ministry at Cactus. And this guy said, no, no, I, I don't know him. I said, oh, okay. Right. So we keep talking. I said, hey, do you, do you know so-and-so? No, I, I, I don't. Hey, do you know something? No, I don't know. I said, do you know anyone? <laughs> and he said, no, I don't. I said, how long have you been coming? Two years. He said, to be honest, I've just, my wife and I, we never really made the effort to, to kind of get to know people. I said, well, do me a favor. Stay after church and speak to someone you don't know. Join a small group and invite people over to your home and eat with them. And I just left it at that. And he doesn't know this until right now, but I just kind of kept an eye on him to see if he would. So what happens? First of all, we receive an invitation to go over to his house to hang out with them. Great. Secondly, he joins a small group and begins to attend there regularly. And then every Sunday at the end of the service, I'd get up and as I'm talking to other people, I would just glance across to see if I could see them. And you know what? Every week without fail, they're there shaking hands with someone new and just getting to know them. I was just so proud of them. I, 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 was, I was just delighted that this was happening. And so one Sunday morning, as they're talking to someone, uh, I, I walk up to him and I just shake his hand and I just say, you know, good job. And, and he turns to me and he says, hey, do you know Jake? And I said, do you know, I do now. You see, that's how this begins to change. That's how we begin to deepen and grow together in authentic community. The pastors, the staff, the First Impressions team, we can't do this for you guys. This needs to be something that as a community we take on together. A culture that we foster and grow that flows out of a personal relationship with Christ. One final thought before we come to communion. Where's the evangelism program? in the Acts 2 church? Do you ever ask that question? You might read that without knowing the context and be like, oh my goodness, this church is dying. This, this is such an inward focused, one another culture that they, they're, not, they're forgetting everyone else outside. They're gonna be closing their doors pretty soon. But what does it say in verse 47? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, they met together daily in the temple courts. They did it in public. The quality of their community was visible to those outside it. And as people witnessed how their lives were being transformed by Jesus, they saw Jesus themselves and they came to trust in him. That's what happened with Rachel, isn't it? Remember I told you about it at the start of the message? Authentic community, koinonia, shows the world 
who Jesus is and what he is still doing today. So let's do it. Let's do it together, brothers and sisters. Let us invest in community, flowing out of our personal relationship with Christ, not just for our joy and for his glory, but so that people will see the difference that Christ makes as we love one another. Isn't that what Jesus himself said? By this will all men know that you are my disciples. How? Because you love one another. We're gonna come to uh, communion now. And I want us to think about it this, this week as an expression of our community. The Apostle Paul writes about the breaking of bread and he says, because there is one bread, this is 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This is a time that we don't just celebrate what God has done for us in Christ as individuals, but we celebrate as a community what he has done for us. So let me just encourage you, two things now to think about as we come to this time. As the ushers in a moment pass out the elements, hold on to them uh, and uh, we'll take them together uh, in a moment. But as you do, as you pray, don't just thank the Lord for what he has done in your life, but look around you and thank him for what he has done in someone else's life. Maybe you don't know a single person's name here this morning. That's fine. Just pray for the unnamed person. Pray a blessing upon him and just thank God for this community that we are a part of. And then secondly, as you pass the elements together uh, to, to one another, if you would like to, why not just share a word of encouragement to each other? Just a, a short little blessing. And let us do communion together as community. Let us celebrate what God has done for us corporately in the person and work of Christ. The, the, the guys will lead us in a song and then uh, I'll uh, come back and uh, lead us in communion.